8K, the high-resolution successor to 4K, has in some ways been one of the technological casualties of the pandemic, with its adoption abated in the consumer rush to buy new 4K screens over the last few years. 8K televisions were expected to account for just 3% of Ultra HD TV sales next year. You've probably already seen films shot in 8K, like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 and 2020 Black and White feature Mank. But there is still not a lot of content available in the format. Broadcast Dialogue welcomes Chris Chinnick, executive director of the 8K Association, to the podcast to talk about 8K's evolution, the debate over its value, and what the association will be showcasing at the upcoming NAB show in Las Vegas. Uh, hello, everyone. Uh, this is Chris Chinnock. Uh, I am the executive director of the 8K Association, in addition to being the president of Insight Media. So my journey, my journey began actually quite a long time ago. Um, before there was the broadcast industry and the display industry for me, I was more in, in the uh, aerospace industry. So I got to work on things for Star Wars. I helped put a sensor on the Mars Observer spacecraft, all these fun things. And then I got a pink slip. So I had to reinvent myself uh, back in the 90s. And I just basically started writing about the things that were of interest to me. I started writing for some trade publications. Most, it actually was all about flat panel displays at the time. So this was the early days of, of LCD, LCD displays. There was no such things as plasma or micro LED or anything else. Uh, it, was, it was, well, there were actually, there were many other display technologies, but I think as you know, LCD has become the, the octopus in the, uh, the arena here. And so after a number of years of freelance, I started my own company, Insight Media. And we began by publishing a newsletter on, on display technology uh, that turned into doing market research reports, which turned into doing conferences, which turned into hiring staff, which turned into getting a building and building this whole thing up. Uh, along the way, also became one of the co-founders of the 3D at Home Consortium. Remember the 3D TVs, that, that wave? Uh, so we tried to make that, uh, ha that happen, which not so successfully as it turns out, and then continued to do all these advanced display technologies. But kind of along the way was, was interesting because, you know, while I'm a display guy at heart, all of these technologies really need an ecosystem behind them. I'm not only on the display side, you know, materials and equipment, but as you start to get into 3D and now into 8K, you need the whole ecosystem from content creation all the way through to display. And so in, let's see, January 2019, uh, I formed the 8K Association with five founding members, display and panel makers to begin with. Again, with that mission of kind of expanding and promoting uh, the 8K ecosystem. And we have now grown that to over 30 members and have a whole bunch of things on our plate to, to do this year, which maybe we could talk about a little bit later. Absolutely. I want to start our conversation kind of talking about the AK evolution and where the tech is at right now. First of all, I think there's a lot of reason to draw analogies to the way 4K came into the market. 
and even before that as well as 1080p. What you start to see is as these resolution revolutions or transitions happen, it's the two ends of the ecosystem that are the first to adopt. So you get cameras first and displays first, and then all the production and distribution and codecs kind of come later and at different time frames and with different motivations. Clearly, there's a million 4K cameras out there. Almost every TV you buy today and monitor for that matter is, is uh, well, it's TVs for sure are, are 4K. We've got 4K content being produced, 4K streaming, not so much 4K broadcasting. So I think there you can draw a fair, fairly good analogy to, to 8K from that 4K ecosystem development. We have 8K cameras. We have 8K TVs. We're starting to get more and more 8K-capable codecs, and there's a lot of stuff happening in the codec and encoding space here to really help this move, move along. All of the production equipment is, is really there today. So in my opinion, it, it basically needs time and a, and a business model. As you mentioned, there are 8K TVs on the market, but very little 8K consumer content available, partly because it takes up a lot of bandwidth. But can you talk about some of the barriers to getting those in broadcasting and media production on board? So I think broadcasting will probably be the the laggard here as it has been for, for 4K. There's just so much more infrastructure, so much more equipment to, to upgrade. Um, so I really think, you know, independent movies and, and movie studios will be more apt to, you know, the, 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 the streaming service providers will be more apt to adopt it more quickly. Yes, uh, 8K files are a, a lot bigger. You do need more bandwidth to push those around. But as I mentioned, we're seeing advancements in mezzanine codecs. Uh, like JPEG XS, which is very important, actually, especially important, I think, in the in the broadcast regime, because it will allow you to use a lot of that existing infrastructure, the 12G SDI, and, and increasingly the IP infrastructure uh, to push 8K files around um, much more easily. And you know, historically, that's been an uncompressed world, but I think we're starting to see some acceptance for having lightly compressed content moved around. So what are some of the benefits of 8K capture? And with double the resolution, is there another set of challenges with making your actors and other media personalities look good with the format? <laughs> it's actually four times resolution. <laughs> right. Um, so, yeah. And, and in fact, that, that exact thing we saw when you went from analog to, 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 uh, to the digital broadcasting, right, 20 years ago, all of a sudden, all those sets that looked fine started to look pretty cheesy. right? And all the blemishes on the actors, you know, no one wanted to see those anymore. So there were changes in the way you captured content and the sensibilities of, of, of how you presented that, that content. We saw that with 4K, again, as, as that fidelity of the resolution increased. And we're going to see it again in, in, in 8K. I think the benefit of having more of those pixels and the density of those pixels is you get a much greater sense of realism. I mean, this can, if well-produced and well-displayed, can look almost lifelike. Now, is that uh, capability germane for all 
genres of content? Absolutely not. So there will be areas where AK probably doesn't make a lot of sense, uh, but there'll be lots of areas where it makes a lot of sense. One of the things that the association is going to be showcasing at the upcoming NAB show is a video around the making of David Fincher's 2020 film Mank, which was shot on red monstral monochrome or monster chrome and 8K large format black and white camera. And you've already touched on this, but one of the great things about 4K was that in some ways it made the playing field more even for content creators who now had, you know, a mini broadcast quality camera in the palm of their hand. And there was a, you know, raft of independent films and music videos that came out shot on the iPhone. Is is 8K going to be something that really evolves at that premium level because of the additional costs involved? No. In fact, you may even have an 8K camera in your pocket right now. High-end Apple and Samsung phones and other brands now offer 8K capture at 24 frames, and you need good light because they're small sensors, but you can definitely make some decent uh, 8K content from your smartphone today. With the low percentage of, uh, I guess, consumer uptake on the 8K TVs, is there any value in that? Oh, sure. Um, and that's what uh, filmmakers have understood for a long time. Um, oversampling is, is the buzzword, right? So if you capture it 8K and, and, and even if you finish it at 4K and play it on a 4K TV, it's going to look better than if you captured it at 4K and, and played it on a 4K TV. That's oversampling. You just create a better master with more pixels. There was some live 8K content broadcast from the Tokyo Olympics that was streamed to Brazil, of all places. Can you talk a little bit about the workflow and how 8K encoding is evolving and whether there's there's been more of an uptick in, in some respects globally with 8K? Yeah, um, so that demo was done with Intel and a bunch of different partners. So NHK um, used their cameras and crews to capture the content in the various venues. That unproduced uh, source content went back to the International Olympics Committee uh, Production Center. It was produced there. And then a, a mezzanine version or a contribution signal was sent to Intel. Intel would then encode this um, and send it to various places. Some of it went to, uh, to, to private demos in, in Oregon and California at the Skirball Center, for example. And some of it went uh, to Brazil, to Globo, They're the big uh, broadcaster in, the, in South America. What Globo did is then they repackaged that content to create an encoding ladder, and they streamed that out to their normal Globo customers through their Globo Play app. And if you had an 8K TV, you could get that high-resolution ladder and just display this content in 8K in all its glory. And that, that's now almost that scenario repeated at the Winter Olympics. It wasn't distributed to Brazil, um, but much of that content was produced in the same way, but now streamed to a number of, um, of public screens throughout China that had 8K resolution. So... These were now very large screens, uh, but again, the, the, the production was, was proven. And just this last week, BT Sport 
did a, a similar live uh, demonstration. They captured um, a football slash soccer match uh, and produced that and streamed it to folks who had their BT Sport app on their on their TVs. Again, in AK, if you had an AK TV. Is sports really an area that we're going to see a lot of pickup in with AK? Yes and no, I think. Um, it's certainly going to be the, the premier event to showcase the beauty of 8K and what can be done uh, from a technology perspective, as I just described. But turning that into you know a lot, having the regular sports broadcasting in 8K, that's, that's going to be a tough sell. It's, it's been a tough sell for 4K, right? There's just not a lot of that out there. It's, it's more streamed content. Live is always more difficult to do than offline content. It's got to be low latency. It's got to be fat. There's fast moving things going on. So it really stresses the encoder. The association has several projects underway to help advance the ecosystem. Are there any of those projects that you'd like to touch on? Sure. Uh, We've got several that I think are pretty interesting. One is to talk about the differences between 8K and 4K from a visual quality perspective. Uh, you mentioned that the Mank content will be running a, a reel at NAB uh, where Peter Madrabadis, uh from the Mank production crew basically does an audio overlay with uh, the 4K version and the 8K version side by side. And he says, you know, hey, take a look at this area here. You can see these fine textures and details. And it looks a little softer over here. So, you know, and we'll be doing more of that with objective re- and, and subjective review of, of that content. All because, you know, there's going to be naysayers out there about the value of 8K. We understand that. And it's probably not appropriate for, uh, for every genre of content. So we want to understand what the value propositions are and when it should be used. And we'll continue to do those kinds of things and, and make that, that information publicly available to consumers as well as professionals in the industry. We've also have already published a report that looks at the 8K Live uh, encoding landscape. uh, And that basically documented the the kind of demos that have been done, the state of codecs, and the state of uh, live encoders and decoders. We're going to follow on to that report and kind of basically expand the report and make it more like a, a live document, turning those those kind of observations into basically guidelines about how you can create an 8K live streamed event. There's, of course, many ways that you could do that. So we'll try and document this as a, what's called best practice, if you will. And then we actually want to try and put those guidelines into effect and actually do an end-to-end live demonstration. Uh, And so we'll be hunting around for some kind of a sporting or a musical event to to do that that whole end-to-end demo. That document will likely expand to include things like 8K VR, capture, production, and distribution. It may start to include things um, like AI uh, capabilities to use encoders and encodecs to reduce the bandwidth and file sizes, uh, which which helps all video, but is especially important for, for 8K, of course. So those are some of the highlights. Oh, and one more, one more, sorry, sorry. <laughs> on, the, on the capture side. Folks like Netflix and Amazon have capture guidelines and they qualified cameras and they have um, requirements for the types of uh, content and the cameras that can be used and how much footage needs to be in 
you know, a certain resolution. This is all for, for 4K, right? Well, we want to do something similar for 8K capture, but with the idea of being able to finish it in 8K either now or down the road. So it's kind of a future-proofing guidelines report, if you will. Okay. Any predictions, Chris, on the future of AK? I think one of the stats I saw estimates that devices will account for about 3% of Ultra HD TVs by next year. What are your expectations? Yeah. Um, well, we saw a big surge of TV sales uh, during the pandemic, uh, and AK benefited modestly from that. And now we're kind of in a, a down cycle, if you will. The prices of, um, uh, of the panels have, have gone down. And so the prices of the, the TVs are going down as well. Actually, they're actually going up. <laughs> so I, I'm slightly optimistic that we'll see a, a, a decent return on, uh, of AK TV sales this year. But historically, this has been a, a very cyclical industry of, of boom and bust in, in both panels and, and TVs. So again, I kind of looked historically to, to 4K because there's been history of about a seven-year cycle in these, in these resolution transitions. So it's, it's been seven years from the introduction of a new display resolution technology, I'm talking TV sales now, uh, to 50% of sales, seven years. So that cycle will be extended, I think, due to the, the pandemic. That just threw a monkey works in, in, in everything. So we'll see. We'll see. We, it's still early in the game. Is there a thought you want to close on? I guess, AK, I, I kind of see it as, I don't want to say it is inevitable, but inevitable, but <laughs> I think it's kind of inevitable. Um, everyone in this ecosystem is, is always pushing their technology, always pushing the next greatest thing. Resolution is just one of those vectors that always gets pushed on. There'll be other things that get pushed on as well, you know, frame rate, dynamic range, and color, but all those things are actually adjacent to the, to resolution, and all will come together, I think. In five or six years, you, I think 8K will, again, be fairly mainstream at this point. When you go out to buy a TV, it's going to be, yeah, might as well just get the 8K one because, you know, it's just a small premium on 4K at this point. If you're headed to NAB, the 8K Association will be in the Futures Park in the West Hall. I'm told right now, Chris, you don't have any Canadian members in the association. (laughs) That's true. Come join us, you Canadians. (laughs) Thank you very much for joining us. Connie, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. Hi, 
I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.